0: Thanks for tuning in to the Poor Fools Almanac. I'm your host, Andy, and today we're joined by a friend of the show and social media personality, host of the Revolutionaries Garden and the Revolutionaries Garden Facebook page, Lake. I've known Lake for a few years now, and while we've had plenty to talk about around farming and podcasting, instead we dive into the area of commune living. Having recently bought a large farm for a communal house, we discuss what that process looks like, how day-to-day living works, and some of the things folks should be aware of if they're interested in doing something similar. And, of course, we are going to talk about gardening, and farming, and neighbors, and all of those fun things. So, I know a lot of folks have this idea in their mind, especially since COVID showed up, so I really think this conversation will resonate with a lot of you listeners. So, with that, let's jump in. Lake, thanks so much for joining us. We've talked for a long time on social media. We've known each other for quite a bit. Thanks for coming on. Good to be here. I've got so many things I want to talk to you about today because we've been kind of doing a lot of similar things. So yeah, I guess introduce yourself for folks that aren't familiar with your work.
1: Yeah. So I'm Lake. I'm a Marxist organizer and educator. I'm a white guy with a podcast. Um, I run the Revolutionaries Garden podcast and Facebook page. The Rev Garden, we actually teach you how to grow a tomato, except we haven't done a tomato episode yet.
0: <laughs> I feel judged.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's basically we try to be an audio toolbox on like how-tos and hands-on information on growing specific crops or raising certain kinds of animals or preserving food. We also have a bonus series where we talk about specific agricultural projects under different kinds of socialism like the coffee cooperatives in Chiapas or Burkina Faso's war on the desert stuff like that but i also live on and help run a communal farm on the coast of Maine uh myself and seven other people bought 62 acres we grow food we tend the forest we build housing for other people to come live here you know we're doing the communism <laughs>
0: doing it <laughs> that's awesome and you you recently moved back to the east coast you're out on the west coast for a while so i'm sure that's been a bit of a transition. And I'm curious, as somebody who left for a while, how you feel about the recent climactic changes and how different it is than maybe when you left?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when I, I used to farm here in Maine, you know, 10 years ago, and it was relatively consistent. We always had some weird weather stuff. But now it's every year is just an incredibly new weather event that we've never seen before. Last year was three months of drought. This year we've had nonstop rain for the entire summer and all the, fa- I mean, I've been watching farms in Maine just drop off the map because they can't survive either because of market stuff or because of climate change stuff. Just, i I left Washington partially to escape raging wildfires and massive heat waves and it just followed me back to Maine it feels like.
0: Maybe it is you. I mean, it's starting to make sense. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about this commune idea. So I think this is something that's a very commonly talked about thing is -hmm. this idea of like, how how do we do this? You know, I think everyone wants or not everyone, but like there's a lot of people that are like, this would just be nice. And that's not even like a political thing. Like even on the right, like there's like. Oh, we need, who wants to buy a hundred acres and like move with your friends and blah,
1: blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, it's a meme at this point.
0: Yeah, it is. And like, there's the one with like the little girl that's like been around for years and keeps circulating, circulating like through the the cycles. Uh, It's like
1: weird Aryan propaganda.
0: Yeah, that one. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you knew what I was talking about. Usually people just look at me like I got fucking two heads. I, I think it's something that is really a curiosity to a lot of people. So as somebody who's done it now, yeah, what's that actually
1: look like? Yeah, I mean, we I've been talking about it for years. Like you said, like me and a bunch of people I knew were always saying, we got to just buy a piece of property and move off grid. And finally, we're like, hey, you know, right middle of pandemic, we're like Things are getting really weird. Maybe maybe now's the time. But the the process, it's funny. It's just you just do it. That's the process. Uh, I know I'm like, and it sounds silly and people say that a lot, but it's like, if you really want to do it, you just got to do it. So that started out with eight of us who got together. Uh, some of them are family members, some of them are friends. And we set down a list of priorities of where we wanted to be, how much land we thought we needed, um, how we were going to pay for it. And we talked about forming a corporation or co- like a legal cooperative to try to buy it. But that's all very complicated and it takes a lot of time and the housing market was doing crazy things like and the fed was about to hike the interest rate for getting a home loan so what we ended up doing is two of us uh the person with the best credit score and the person with the highest legal income were the ones who applied for the mortgage and that got us the best rate it got us the highest amount we could afford uh we kind of picked them arbitrary just for those reasons and we got approved for X amount and we had our budget and we just went around looking at properties, having them, most of them get snatched up by people from California who bought them sight unseen. But unlike
0: people from Washington.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Maine. All right. So yeah, like... <laughs> I'm teasing you. I, I, I... <laughs> I'm not from away, but it took a lot of compromising because different people wanted different things. That's selling you fine with any group of people trying to make a decision lot of compromises. But eventually we found this property that just barely ticked everybody's boxes and made an offer and we got it. And we've been living here ever since. Uh, we split the mortgage. We split it ha- partially between just an equal amount. But if someone has, say, twice as much income as everybody else, they pay more for the mortgage just because they can afford to. And if someone makes a lot less, they pay a little less. And we're working on forming a corporation to properly transfer everything over just for legal reasons, because, again, the property is technically only in two people's names, which I trust those people with my life. That's why I could do it. Like, that's why we could, you know, decide on letting them be the ones to sign it. But legally, it's better if you can eventually get some sort of corporate entity or cooperative so everybody can share legal ownership of the property.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, that's where things get really murky. Is a lot of people love the idea of cooperatives. One of the things I don't think people realize is that cooperatives are not a tax entity. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're like, all right, I created a cooperative. And the government's like, okay, so, <laughs> so, so what are you? And you're like, yeah, uh, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, like setting up as an S Corp is usually the route people go mm-hmm. when they go the cooperative route. And I, I would definitely recommend it depending on, you know, this is not tax advice, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but for many people, it makes a lot of sense uh, yeah. when you start working with other people. I, I want to talk a little bit about like, all right, you wanted to do this and you had some friends. Is is that enough to just be like, oh, we're friends and we're going to go buy a, a farm together or a couple farms, like, you know, a couple prop yeah. buildings on a farm or whatever it might be like. what What is that? Uh, I guess you could call it like a vetting process really look like.
1: It's hard because you're right. In some ways, it's just not enough because there are people within this little cooperative who I would trust to have their their name be the only name on the property. And there are some people I trust with certain things. I trust them to borrow my car. I trust them to look after my dog. I would not trust them to be the only name on the property. You have to make the call on how much you have to be able to trust somebody because the fact is, you're not going to be able to trust everybody you work with you, with your life or with a, all of your income. You know, you kind of have to find those what amount of contradiction you can accept. You have to find what kind of relationship is enough. It's tricky. You know, like I'm not there's no real no real easy way to answer it. Mostly it's having a good relationship with somebody, knowing you can trust them as much as you need to to go in on a project like this and also setting sort of backup plans, you know, there are a couple people involved with the project who aren't necessarily as invested as the others. Like for me, this is my life. I don't have any savings. I don't have any retirement. I have nothing but this farm. I'm not going anywhere. But there are some people who have a lot of income. And if they wanted to, they could just up and leave the the cooperative. And that's fine. But we have to make sure we have a backup plan for if they do, how we're going to make up for that gap in income or that gap in work. And that's really just it is finding people you can trust enough, even, <laughs> you know, you ju- just enough and having backup plans for if various people leave or if various things fall through.
0: Makes sense. With the farm, what are the goals is this something that like I think a lot of people that go down this route, their their thought is we're going to move off the grid. We're going to. Mm-hmm grow our own food. We're going to pay our taxes by selling some produce and our electricity bill and our heating bill. And that's all we're going to need to pay for because we're going to do everything else ourselves. Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Self-sufficiency is made up, uh, first of all. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) No such thing, really. But I think for us, the goal is to grow as much of our own food as we can, especially things like produce and fruit and meat and dairy staples like grains and flour and baking supplies like we're we're always gonna buy that the amount of work involved in producing a pound of flour yourself is obscene when you could just go buy a pound of flour from the store for 50 cents or whatever (laughs) it just doesn't make sense you know theoretically the idea of being able to survive just off your farm is a nice idea and it's maybe a a far off la-di-da goal to work towards It's like a guiding principle, but knowing that it's not actually ever going to happen or it's not going to happen in a way that's comfortable, like we could probably survive off of all the food from the farm in the forest right now, but we'd be eating a lot of cattails and a lot of leafy greens and not much in the way of protein or carbs, you know?
0: I mean, you got all those unicorns.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it wouldn't be a comfortable (laughs) diet, but it would maybe be possible. We are building up the farm, hopefully as a source of income. Uh, We also have the woodlot that we use as a source of income because we can forage from there. We can sell some of the wood. We're trying to find the balance for sustainable lumber harvesting. We have a goat herd. We sell the milk. The goat herd pays for itself, but not the labor. (laughs) If you know, like they, they pay for their grain, they pay for their own supplies, but they do not pay for their own labor. Unfortunately, making money off of food is incredibly hard. Uh, (laughs) uh, Almost impossible, one might say. Uh, If you want to make money off of a farm, you have to get into things like agritourism or classes. It's sort of like the permaculture thing. The only way you make money off of permaculture is teaching other people how to do permaculture. Yeah. And we are doing some of that. Like, we're going to have a little haunted hayride. We're going to have a pumpkin patch. We have a poultry processing class. We do some of that education stuff, and it does bring in more income than any of the food that we sell. But... It's one of those things. Some, a couple of us are probably always going to have to work off the farm in order to pay for things like the mortgage. Cause yeah. if you're taking out a mortgage to get a property, that's 30 years. You got to pay that thing off. And then, of course, building materials and nails and electricity and farming tools, stuff like that. All of that is incredibly expensive. Some of us are going to have to have a day job until the end of time, probably, <laughs> or until the fall of capitalism.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a fun time to be alive. Uh, yeah i think like people have this vision of what this looks like and you know you said that
1: there's nine people right or right uh, around nine so so there's eight people involved two of them don't live on the farm they just kind of okay. invest in it because they want it as a nice the, one of them's a tech worker so they have tech work income they kind of help bought in but they don't live here they just like the idea of it and they like The possibility of coming, they like being able to come and visit and the possibility of having to stay here if they have to. So there's six of us living here and we have two people coming on to live here, not necessarily as partners yet, but just to like live here and work a few hours on the farm and do their own thing.
0: With the farm, I know you say you're planning on growing produce. Are you you planning on doing more like the conventional veg crops, fruit crops, things like that? Or are you exploring a little bit more into some native crops, um, breeding projects, anything like that?
1: Definitely a lot of experimentation happening. That's what this first year, this first proper growing year has been about. A lot of what we're going for right now is just regeneratively growing some of your more standard fruits and vegetables. The things that have been doing well here are potatoes, the brassicas, broccoli, cauliflower. Corn has done weirdly good here. Conventional perennials like asparagus, rhubarb, artichoke. We are experimenting with more native crops and trying to figure out what What of those work here and don't? We have a lot of huckleberries on the farm. We have a lot of blueberries, cranberries. Of course, berries are the native thing that does really well here. We're hoping to start growing more seedlings, uh, especially local native plants, uh, perennial herbs, perennial vegetables. A lot of it is sort of getting a feel for what the local market will pay for versus what we can sustainably grow here because there's a lot of there's a lot of areas in maine where the growing market is very saturated we have a very high-end dairy right across the road that sells locally made cheeses so we're not going to be able to sell much cheese here (laughs) there are a lot of conventional farms in the area so there's a lot of conventional produce being sold but not necessarily organic or uh, regenerative produce being sold so it's just Finding what, what we can sell and what we can grow and hopefully finding a happy balance between the two things.
0: When you talked about this idea that people had like different amounts of like equity, basically, because of how much they're contributing according to what they can afford and so on, how does that play out in terms of like the, the actual day-to-day labor requirements of keeping things going?
1: When we first started, we kind of said from the beginning, okay, we have to start this project of everyone on equal footing even if this person, because we had somebody, you know, liquidate their 401k to help pay for this farm. And so they contributed a lot more money than we put in, but we realized starting out, if we kept going, oh, well, so-and-so put more money in, so they shouldn't have to do this. And so-and-so put less money in, so they should have to do, they should have to do this. We realized it was gonna lead to a lot of conflict and a lot of bitterness and a lot of very unhappy feelings. So we we just said from the beginning, starting here everyone's on equal footing if it ever breaks up if we ever sell we'll take into account who put in what but as far as day to day goes we just have to treat everybody equally we do make some exceptions like my partner works full-time all the time and they bring in a fair amount of money to the farm so they do fewer chores they do less farm work just to account for that and i only have a part-time job so i put a lot of more time into the farm um It's it's sort of a weird balance you have to strike. Like, obviously, if someone works full time and brings in a lot of money to the farm, they shouldn't have to do quite as many chores or work quite as much on the farm as somebody else uh, who doesn't work at all. Maybe it's it's sort of something you have to figure out among yourselves and try to avoid any sort of feelings of inequity or bitterness cropping up and, you know, tackle them as they come up.
0: Anything that you maybe started thinking when you when you started venturing down this road that now in retrospect, you're like, this sounds like a good idea, but don't do it this way.
1: Oh, where to start? Because uh, <laughs> there, you know, there have been there have been some road bumps. There have been some uh, differences in opinion. One of the things I will say just to avoid conflict later on is really talk about what you want the place to be you can figure out nitty gritty things like chore schedules and meal schedules and stuff like that. You can figure that out along the way. But if people ha- go into it with a different idea of the spirit of the project, it's going to lead to a lot of conflict. Like the example I'll use is when we the, the farm we bought has one big farm or medium-sized farmhouse and then a lot of property. And a bunch of us thought that the farmhouse was going to be like a communal house as people built up other housing. The, the farm would be like, people could come stay at the farmhouse so they could stay in a little yurt or cabin. Um, but it would be very much an open door policy on the main farmhouse. Whereas other people thought that if they were going to be living in the farmhouse, it was going to be their house basically, and not necessarily communal space. And that's led to a lot of Conflict as far as planning and arranging rooms and figuring out what goes where. Uh, but if you talk about what you, the very clear vision of what you want this place to be, that will help smooth out a lot of things coming up later. As far as specific things that have come up that seemed like a good idea, but weren't necessarily uh, everybody going in on groceries together, that seemed like it'd be a great idea. But when you have somebody who drinks a gallon of milk a day and somebody who doesn't drink any milk ever, there gets to be weird conflict about, well, I'm pa- why are we paying for this much milk when only so and so drinks it? Or why are we buying so much junk food when only so when, you know, we shouldn't be buying junk food with house money. The thing we found works is we have a list of house foods that are we we definitely just buy together uh, toilet paper, flour, oil, things like that those go on the house account. And then if you want to buy anything else, you buy it yourself and you put it on your shelf. And if somebody wants to borrow it, they can ask. If not, they don't. Communal meals, we thought there were going to be more communal meals, but we found that people can be very picky about what they eat. Like my partner, and I almost never eat meat. My brother eats meat with every single meal. So trying to cook communal meals that make both of us happy is tricky. So instead, what we do is each person picks one night a week. They make a communal meal. They do their best to make it acceptable to everybody. But if you don't want that meal, you'll just cook your own meal and do your own thing. And that's fine. And how's dishes going? Another contentious one. (laughs) (laughs) We originally were there was a dishwasher with the house. We originally going to rip it out to make more room for storage. But we found that dishes became such a contentious issue that we left the dishwasher in and just used the dishwasher. And that has helped ease some of the tension around dishes that said some people do have a couple of like have a couple of personal dishes so they can make sure their dish is always clean like i have my mug no one can use this mug but me and because it's my mug i always know where it is i always know i can use it i never have to search around a dirty sink for to wash a mug to use it for my morning coffee little coping strategies like that could sometimes help
0: I'm really interested to know what the response has been if people have noticed uh what's going on there in terms of like the living situation being let's call it unconventional <laughs> uh, and how if there's been feedback response or if if you guys have really tried to integrate yourselves into the community in any like meaningful way
1: yeah honestly the response from the community has been mostly positive we have a wide array of people around us uh, across the road. We have sort of a liberal Gen X couple. We have hardcore millennial commie neighbors. We have elderly lesbians. We have some Trumpers down the road. So, you know, very grumpy, very old boomer Trumpers hanging out here. And most everybody has been relatively receptive. When we were first getting ready to move in, I walked around, talked to some of the neighbors. And when I explained, you know, like, oh, so is it just you and your partner? I'm like, well, no, it's it's my mom and my friend, and my brother and another friend. And like, oh, you're almost doing a commune over there. And I was like, ha yeah, yeah to- good joke. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> um, that. Honestly, I think so many people want, desperately want a sense of community. A lot of people seem to subconsciously want a commune these days, subconsciously or consciously, that most people are like, yeah, that's awesome. This seems like a good deal. They're a little appalled at how many people are in this house because it's not a, you know, it's an 1830s poor, poor farmers farmhouse, not big. And there's six of us living in it, which is fun. (laughs) That's been their biggest hang up is, oh, there's so many of you in that small house. As far as the broader local community goes, again, everybody's been pretty supportive. I'm not going to say what town we're in, but we're in a town on the coast of Maine. Most people seem happy to have younger people moving into the area, especially people who aren't from out of state. (laughs) There's a lot of hostility towards Californians and New Yorkers. So having some Mainers, more Mainers farming in their town is makes them pretty happy. We haven't done as much as we would like to to integrate with the community. Uh, We've been working a lot with like the Queer Pride events. We've been working with some of the food pantry stuff. In general, we could be doing better to integrate ourselves into the community hey we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can
0: get a whole lot more information from poorprols.com. on our website we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast which provides more depth and context as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Pearl's website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorpearls.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up season one, or tune into the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now, back to the show. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword because puts you, especially in a small community, it's not hard to stand out. Yeah, uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be bad, but it 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 can be risky. So you know, it's definitely uh, something that is important to consider and to be thoughtful and slow and be aware of what you're doing, and, but understanding that there is a need to to try to make those connections in a yeah. way that I think a lot of people are because of the internet and social mm-hmm. media, we, we have this like need to do things immediately. Yeah. There's no sense of slowness to, to engage thoughtfully in, in a very, you know, methodical way Yeah, that, um you know, it, it takes time.
1: Internet edginess doesn't do well in a small town. I will say <laughs> that like where I used to live in Washington, I always knew I was going to leave. So on the Facebook page, I'd, On the town, you know, the local town Facebook group, I'd be like, stop being such a boomer, like fuck cops and stuff like that, because I didn't care. I was going to leave. But here I kind of have to tamp myself down a little bit. I'm like, hey, maybe this isn't a great way to look at this, guys. And, you know, you have to be a little more reasoned. You have to be a little more cautious when starting interactions with your neighbors, because these are people I'm going to be living around for possibly the rest of my life. And. I want to promote socialism. I want to promote this radical agenda, but I also want to get along with my neighbors and not have them form a mob against me. So you do have to (laughs) ease it in. That said, if you're just a normal, nice person who's polite to your neighbors, they will accept a lot. Like, my boss is a middle-aged dairy farmer who voted Republican until Trump, and he knows I'm a hardcore communist that lives on a commune. And he'll tease me about it, but we're fine because yeah. I built up a rapport with him and I've always shown up on time and all that kind of stuff. If you just act like a kind human being to your neighbors, they will. you can get away with a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think
0: that's something that's so missed in a lot of the internet dialogue is that the phrase like, they want me dead is tossed around. And yeah. a lot of times, like, I'm not saying there aren't... You, there's always that that radical mm-hmm. far right piece that exists, but like 80% of the people that voted for Donald Trump are not inherently terrible, murderous people. And the yeah. only thing keeping them from doing that is the law <laughs> or like the inability to find you because of your whatever. Just giving them the opportunity to see that people that are different than them are just normal is so powerful and breaks down their, their, you know, boogeyman so well, yeah. so like, like you said, you know, if you show up on time, you talk to a boomer and they'll be like, I hate young liberals. Cause that's the same thing as a communist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hate them cause they're lazy. They don't show up on time. They don't want to work anymore. And if you just like are respectful and show up on time and like are halfway presentable, <laughs> they're like, Oh you're one of the good ones and it's like, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and it's like yeah. it's it's something like it it's it's one you know crack at the facade that they have of yeah. what's not
1: not their perspective yeah and i hate saying the phrase just act just act normal because it's weirdly loaded and there's a lot of stuff going on yeah. but like if if you can just go to your neighbor and talk about the weather and the local town event and something on TV. Like if you can just have a normal conversation with them, you'll make a connection and you'll start building up a rapport with them as just your neighbor, a person you live near, you know, as someone who's part of your community.
0: Yeah. And this idea of community, I think like we have such a broken understanding of what that looks like because our parents, our parents' generation, we're about the same age, kind of, they experienced it growing up and then it kind of fell apart unless mm-hmm. you live in like very rural religious areas because the church in many places has kind of forced people that are otherwise different outside of their religious beliefs to like spend time together and like have to talk to each other. Right. (laughs) And and we kind of got rid of that because we, we work with people that are not from our communities most of the time, right. People go into a city or, you know, there's a hub of like some employer that hires 500 people from 30 towns or whatever it might be. Yeah. And like we have, we've been so alienated in all these different ways, but the church and rural communities especially has done a good job of trying to keep those ties together. Mm -hmm. Although it has, you know, there, there are fractions within it and obviously the church isn't as popular as it once was for our generation. So we almost don't even know how to communicate with people outside of that work environment with people that aren't exactly the same as us we go on social media and it's all people who agree with me and if they don't i'm fighting with them or trolling yeah. with them. you know <laughs> like we have no capacity to do to to have that third space where we are our, our common values is that we live in a community that we care about
1: yeah i mean there are plenty of neighbors in this area that i don't care for their politics or maybe i don't even care for them as people i have a neighbor who is a obnoxious obnoxious man who shoots his guns all the time a day and night But I have to live with him. And so I I'm polite. I'm not necessarily going to ask him for any favors. But if he asked me to come over and give him a hand with something, I would go do it because he lives near me and I care about him existing. (laughs) Right. Like, Like,
0: I don't have to like you to want you to not be dead.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think what gets missed is a sort of diversity of connections. Not everybody has to be your best friend or a total stranger. People can be a good friend. People can be an acquaintance. People can be the neighbor you wave at and nothing else. Obviously, the better you can get along with your local community, the better. But there, there's always going to be some people you're not as close to. And that's a totally fine thing.
0: Yeah. And even good. And I think yeah. those people that are more on the periphery are really valuable in a lot of ways because it does force us sometimes to self critique our own perspectives and like Mm -hmm. our, these things that we, we take as, you know, concrete, objectively true things and say, huh, this person doesn't believe me. And like, I don't agree with them on a lot, but they're, they're fairly rational people. Why don't they see the, the way I see it and to like, start to really understand how subjective perspectives can really influence the way we understand politics, the way we understand economy, the way we understand relationships. Uh, you know, all these different facets that when you're in that little bit of a bubble is really hard sometimes to to see what's outside of it. Uh, yeah. Even if we think we can, uh, if you don't face that resistance a little bit of mm-hmm. like actually having to talk to somebody face to face, I think a lot of that is lost. And that's how you end up in these weird, like, micro <laughs> niche, whatever you want to call them things that are on the internet, where it's like, people are fighting about the most pointless meaningless stuff for 99.9% of people and they make it their entire identity. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about the podcast and where that came mm. from if that ties in at all to the to the farm and kind of something w- what your goals are with it because I remember when I think you dropped the first episode and I think you might have actually sh- done a shout out for us in the first episode. I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." You know, it's like a a guide, basically, for folks that don't want to sit down and read. What is your vision with that? And kind of where where do you expect it to go? Is it going to tie into the farm stuff or is it just a labor of love?
1: Yeah, I got started on it back when I was organizing with Crow Coalition of Revolutionaries and Organized Workers that fell through. Uh, The organization had some issues. Still great people, love them all. But stuff happened. Uh, and I eventually picked it back up and started producing the show largely because I I follow a I listen to a lot of podcasts and I follow a lot of that stuff. And there's a lot of, especially on the left, there's a lot of great exploration about history and ideas and politics and that kind of these bigger concepts. And then people are left sitting there. Well, like, OK, I've learned about this history. Now, what do I do with it? That was kind of a lot of the impetus behind the podcast is like, hey, here's what you do with information this kind of information and i am obsessed with farming on my time off i play farming games on my time off i read about farming i work on a farm i live on a farm i do it as a hobby so farming seemed like the thing to talk about as far as hey here's a real thing you can do here's how and it, it just started out that is just a guide you know i i think i call it an audio toolbox usually it's just if I want you to be able to listen to an episode on garlic and have all the information you need to go buy garlic, plant it, grow it, harvest it and store it. And I you know that we've been doing that ever since. If, if we do an episode on jam, you're going to learn about how exactly how you make different kinds of jam and preserve it safely. And that's just the mission is to give people actionable information, something that they can listen to, take it into the real world and actually do something with that information. And of course, at the end of each episode, I always try to add in how it fits into a more radical or revolutionary gardening space. Like, hey, this thing is you're not going to save any money growing it. You you know, maybe it just makes you happy and that's a good thing. Or, hey, this is a staple, which if there was ever a big climate, emerg- uh, climate catastrophe, you could live off of this thing. As far as where it goes, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. You know, I could not make a single dollar on any of these episodes. I don't really. I make not very much uh, from the Patreon, but I just love talking about this kinds of stuff. And I love giving people this information. And when, every now and again, somebody will post a picture of the garlic they harvested or the potatoes they grew using information they learned from my show. And I'm like, hell yeah, man. Somebody, this is actually helping somebody. Like this is that I did a thing and now it had a real life effect. Somebody was able to grow their own food and distribute it among their community. Like what more could I want that, you know, the, the absolute tingly feeling from that is incredible.
0: That's a great feeling when you, when the thing you put out into that universe, like comes back like three months later, six months later.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep on making these episodes. Somebody, I saw somebody on an A different kind of podcast say, well, what do you do when you run out of stuff to talk about? And I couldn't imagine running out of stuff to talk about when it comes to growing food or preserving food. Or I have a million episodes that I still want to do, but haven't gotten the chance to do yet. So it's not stopping anytime soon.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel that too. I'm like, I'm tired sometimes, but like I've, mm-hmm. we've got we've got the list and yeah. I get teased about the list because it's <laughs> it's literally like whenever I see, I'm thinking about something like, oh, that'd make a good episode and I put it, write it down. And then it turned into like this 400 item list <laughs> that they're just like, what, what even is this? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. It's just my thoughts. Like, don't judge me <laughs> for my thoughts. All right. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I I really enjoy the show. And I think it's cool that we're kind of doing similar things, but very differently.
1: I've had a lot of folks talk about both of our shows. Like like I've seen people talk about them in the same comment section and how they kind of feel complimentary because I focus very much on this is the direct how to step by step. And you guys can talk about some of the broader concepts and a lot. I feel like you guys nail ecological issues a lot better than I do. Uh, and I, I listen mostly because I, so I can learn about those things and also learn about some of the weirder crops you talk
0: about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I think it's like pragmatic versus uh, I don't even want to say like academic because that's not really the right word. Yeah. Like, uh, I guess the the metaphor would be like weather versus climate. Like they're hmm. both really important, but for different reasons. Yeah. You know, like you're the climate, the the day to day, like how do you actually grow a pumpkin? (laughs) uh, And I'll tell you about why your pumpkin is going to change in 200 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of climate, though, I I do want to ask a little bit, you know, as somebody who's thinking longer term, how is climate change playing into, I guess, how you think about creating content on the podcast and also how you're planning for your own farm?
1: As far as content on the podcast, I'm always telling people, I'm trying to remind people and trying to tell people, conditions are only going to get more extreme. And a lot of your gardening, a lot of your techniques, a lot of your food preservation has to keep in mind, things aren't going to be the way they used to. You're going to have to deal with extreme heat, extreme cold, everything in between. Um, So focusing on techniques that can minimize major shifts in temperature or weather conditions, are going to help you most longer term, focusing on crops that are either more resilient or grow much more quickly. So you can grow them really quickly in a good window of weather and harvest them before the weather turns sour again. Incorporating things like cold frames, greenhouses, underground storage, stuff that just by its nature resists big shifts in temperature or big shifts in sunlight. Just riding the, riding the wave, riding out the storm <laughs> is going to be how you garden from now on. This year has just been insane. Yeah. I mean, even last year. So the dairy farm I work on, this is an example I use. The dairy farm I work on has been a dairy farm for 75 years or so. For the first 50 years, they only had one or two droughts. In the last 10 years, we've had seven. Jesus. It's the, the the rate at which things are changing. And we had to, last year, we had to irrigate pasture for the cows to have enough grass to eat, which is Something nobody has ever done in the state of Maine before. I think there was a newspaper article about it because we have never had to, it's never gotten so bad that we've had to irrigate pasture before just to keep grass growing for cows to eat. That doesn't even get into growing and harvesting hay, which wasn't growing. It doesn't get into buying more grain from further away because the grain isn't growing. Just grass for cows to eat isn't growing anymore some year or some months of the year.
0: Yeah. I, I just had this conversation with Nate over at this experimental farm network about like climate change had predicted that we would get more rain, which I was like, we don't need more rain. It's has been like, <laughs> historically speaking, not necessarily yeah. the last few years. And it doesn't, it seems like it's the opposite. It seems like, well, I don't even say the opposite. It's almost like that was the wrong way to think about it. Yeah, uh, And it's instead we're getting these like, I mean, we just had a rainstorm last night after and we've had rain the last like, three weeks yeah. here, at least that's been out of control. And I know Vermont just flooded too. Yeah. despite that we have been in droughts as you're pointing out the last few years, basically. But when we do get rain, it's more intense. There's more of it. There's more yeah. moisture. So it's like, instead of saying, well, we need to breed crops to be more resistant to drought or rain or like soggy conditions. It's like, we need to breed them to do both, which is just yeah. like,
1: Yeah. It's not that things are just getting warmer or just getting colder. They're just getting more extreme. We're having wetter, more intense winters. We're having drier, hotter summers. It's just the fluctuation level between precipitation and temperature is just getting more and more extreme. And so it's all about mitigating the peak points of those. Like with water you're just if you're going to want to garden you're going to have to learn how to store water and store enough of it during wet times to get you through the dry times you can breed all the drought resistant crops you want you can mulch all you want but at a certain point you're just going to need water
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i I started wondering i'm like are are we going to start doing waffle farming here in like the northeast and like then what are you going to do during like the wet like when you get three weeks of rain yeah uh like you can't just do that you're gonna have like raised beds with waffle farming in them like with like (laughs) weird damming, yeah yeah draining (laughs) them off and stuff like what yeah what do you even do like it's it's gonna be crazy the way things are going
1: a lot of what i'm seeing in maine at least is almost a breakdown into two growing seasons before the growing season was may until september and now the growing seasons are April until June and then September until November. We're not getting one big, long growing season. We're getting two short growing seasons, which have more intense weather, either worse wind, worse rain, worse heat. But they're not as bad as the middle of winter or the middle of summer.
0: Yeah. And then you you can only grow cooler season crops, really.
1: Yeah. The one thing I will say is potatoes are doing fine main potato <laughs> harvests have never been better this year last year they're doing all right it's everything else that's totally <laughs> messed yeah up.
0: you're gonna be back on the potato economy yeah <laughs> anything i know you've written some notes anything you wanted to cover that we didn't
1: yeah just real quick if you are working with a group of people to try to do the communism try to buy some sort of communal land to use will th- this thing i will say is Come up with your minimums and maximums, like come up with the most you're willing to pay, the least amount of land you can work with, have a very clear idea of what you want to do with it and how you want to cooperate on it. Those things will change. They will absolutely change. You'll get on the market and realize you can't afford anything under this price or over this price or under this. Those things are going to change. But if you have like a guiding principle, it makes decisions easier. As far as specifically land goes, I will say you need less than you think you do. These We have 62 acres, and it's going to be decades before we're fully utilizing all 62 acres. Right now, we use maybe four. We're not going to be using much more than that for a long time. It, less land than you think you're going to need. If there are structures, take small land with a lot of buildings over a lot of land with few buildings, because construction prices and construction time is insane. 10 acres with a barn will do you a million times more good than a hundred acres with no barn. Just having any little bit of infrastructure is going to make a huge difference. And learn that you are not going to always like everybody that you're working with. <laughs> hopefully you'll like them enough and hopefully you'll trust them enough, but you're just going to have to deal with habits that annoy you and you just have to figure out what you're willing to accept and what you're not. Yeah, I think that I think that just about covers it. Awesome.
0: Hopefully for folks that have listened to this, they, uh, go check out the revolutionaries garden podcast. Did I get that name right? I always forget where the S goes.
1: Yeah. The revolutionaries garden.
0: You can listen to like talk a whole bunch more over there. Uh, you're also on social media if you want to do some plugs.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we have a Facebook, uh, revolutionaries garden, the revolutionaries garden got stolen. We have a Twitter. We don't use it. Probably not going to now. <laughs> <laughs> we're hopefully going to expand. We have a website, the revgarden.com where you can find our basic info. We have a Patreon at rev garden. Um, we have a bunch of cool bonus episodes on there. Check it out. Uh, and that's about it.
0: Link, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad we finally got to uh, yeah. sit down and chat.
1: We've been doing it for a while. It finally happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of these days I'm going to have to make it up there and check things out.
1: I, I have to make it down there. We, we have to do a, a get together with us and the resistance garden blog and, propaganda by the seed because we're all within like a hundred mile radius of each other it's ridiculous yeah
0: yeah everything's pretty close so at some i think we talked about doing that last year and then we just no one ever followed up yeah we should we should make that a, a thing yep. do, a, do a massive episode all of us <laughs> together it'd be chaos
1: yeah. oh you uh, <laughs> absolute mess
0: uh so lake thanks so much this has been a lot of fun
1: yeah this has been great